This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary from our regular weekday chapel service. BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles. We are committed to the authority and inerrancy of the Holy Scriptures and to making disciples for Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary, go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. And chapter 1, Mark in chapter 1. A couple weeks ago, I was at my mother's house, and there on her coffee table and side table, my dad keeps all his papers and all his magazines and all his books piled up. He's almost a horror when it comes to books and magazines and newspapers. And right there on the edge, I noticed an edge of the Dallas Morning News sticking out from under the pile, And in big, broad letters, it had Clinton. About a third of the whole page, it said Clinton. I said, what in the world is that? So I lifted up and looked, and it said, Clinton impeached. He had a newspaper across the whole front there that headlines from March in 1998. (laughs) That was a headline, but it was, as Hillary would say today, that's old news. You don't have to worry about Bill anymore. Not too many days after that, we saw on the news another headline of news when we see that Ambassador Kerry or Secretary Kerry had signed a nuclear deal with Iran. And then you wait a little bit longer and you see another smaller headline, a little bit of just a byline in the news several weeks later, and you find out that Iran hadn't even signed it yet. So that was a headline, but it was fake news. Then we saw one again. Our hero, Secretary Kerry, there in Paris, makes a big splash, big headlines that we have come to a the Paris Accords about the environment to limit greenhouse gases around the world. Then you keep on reading a little bit and you see that in this famous headline of news about a accord on the environment that there are no penalties or injunctions against anybody and no enforcement mechanism involved. And all they're doing is just agreeing to come back and talk about it again in four or five years. Headline, but it was really non-news. Let me give you some real news. But bad news. These are real headlines. Do you know that in the United States that our average family income is exactly where it was in 2007? And everything else has gone up in price, but our wages have stayed about the same for the last eight years. That's bad news, isn't it? We opened our papers not long ago and we saw news about the fact that our Congress and our administration failed to do anything at all and defund Planned Parenthood. Our Congress and administration cannot even muster enough moral fortitude to ban the sale of the parts of innocent 
Bacon's. That's bad, isn't it? See headlines every night, every day, Muslim terrorism somewhere in the world. And news that in every one of our major cities in the United States, there are probably terror cells working right now to kill me and kill you and your children and your parents and your brothers and sisters. That's bad news, isn't it? All depressing. People in Mark's day that he was writing to faced similar bad news and headlines all the time. They're living in an age when they had been under foreign rule for hundreds of years. For years, foreign powers had come in and out of their country and stolen their crops, stolen their wealth and carried it away. Present time, when Mark is riding, they're still under the thumb of the Roman Empire that was taxing them to the point they were living in grinding poverty all the time. Their religion had been degraded, been made subservient to the Roman gods. They lived with a foreign power governing their day-to-day life. They needed good news. We need good news today. And Mark wrote to give us the good news and give them the good news. See there in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about to start. Jesus would say later on, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's beginning the good news of my kingdom, my rule is starting right now. That's good news. And in this good news in the first eight verses, Mark gives us three headlines of good news. The first one there in verses two and three, first headline would be this, that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. Here again, look with me, verses two and three. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Again, those two prophets conflated two passages. Mark, excuse me, John did. He took those two passages and conflated them. And he said, this is the beginning of the fulfilling of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And as you study a little bit farther into the book of Mark, you'll see exactly what he's talking about. There in Isaiah and Malachi also, it talks about a forerunner, a messenger that's going to come before Jesus. And John is saying, Mark is recording, John is saying, it's me, the forerunner is here, the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophets, that there be somebody to introduce the Christ. He says, it's starting to be fulfilled, the coming of the Christ that you're looking for. It's me, John the Baptist. And it's beginning to happen. You read a little bit further in the Gospel of Mark and you see where Jesus is coming from in the triumphal entry. He's coming from the east. Where it's mentioned there in Isaiah. He's coming from Bethphage. Coming from the Mount of Olives and entering into the east side of the city of Jerusalem. He's coming suddenly to his temple. 
in just a few more verses after he makes the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, in just a few verses you see him walking into the temple, suddenly coming to his temple and begins to cleanse the temple. He came suddenly to his temple and began to cleanse it, saying to us, he's coming, he's not only just coming with the master, now he's here, and he's starting to do what it says in the book of Malachi, he's starting in his temple, and he's going to start to work in his people and purify his people for the ultimate fulfillment of all the rest of the prophecies of Christ. Why is that important to us? That this is the beginning that Mark says, headline, that Jesus himself is a fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. It's important to me because if I realize this and I grasp it and I began to look and see where Jesus is in all of the Old Testament, that he is the fulfillment of every last bit of it. I realize that I don't have to dig around in the library and find some Old Testament and New Testament prophecies charts from Clarence Larkin in the 1800s and try to follow all these circles and lines and arrows going down and up and try to figure all that out. I realize that I don't have to listen to the news every day and get sucked in by some rumor that there in Jerusalem under the temple the Israeli intelligence service is sewing new priestly garments and instructing the priests how to lead worship in a new temple someplace. I don't have to worry about some news headline and try to figure out somehow what some new secular Israeli government is going to do. It's all about Jesus. All of the prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled Christologically. That's the focus of God's word. Jesus himself said, it's all about me. That's good news. I don't have to worry about going to the next, catching the next prophecy conference someplace. I don't have to worry about going down to the Lifeway bookstore, worry about what's going to happen next week or next year, and buy paperback dime novels about the end times and get involved in all that mess. That's good news to me. What I'm supposed to do is read his word, be faithful in discipling others, teaching his word, and focusing on Christ. That's good news for me. Headline number two in this same passage is that Jesus is not only the ultimate fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets, Jesus himself is the ultimate prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet, his job is to be God's spokesman. God speaks his word through the prophet. John the Baptist says, what does it say about him right here? John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. What else did he prophesy? At the end, he prophesied that he was not, what? Worthy. There's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and even think about it. I might have the opportunity, the privilege and honor of untying his shoes. So then there's one greater than me that's coming along. A greater prophet than I am. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He had one foot in the Old Testament line of prophets, but he's the first prophet of the New Testament. He has a foot in the New Testament. 
He's the bridging prophet between the two. And he says, as Jesus said of him, among born of women, there's not one greater than John the Baptist. And he straddled both periods of time. And he said, what? The one that's coming is greater than I am. Not too much farther into the book of Mark. You see the apostles, James and Peter and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And as they stood there, who appeared? Moses and Elijah. What was the significance of that? Moses and Elijah. Moses the great, Moses, the great prophet that represented all the law. The foundational documents, you might say, of the nation of Israel. Elijah, who? He was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets that never died, was translated into heaven. And there they appeared with Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration. But who was transfigured? Who and who did God's glory fall? Moses and Elijah, it fell on Jesus. And while the glory of God resided on Jesus, God himself, we hear from heaven, God saying, this is my beloved son. And you read that passage, you look at the definite articles and the personal pronouns, you would read it this way. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then he says what? This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Hear Moses. Listen to Elijah. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the ultimate translator. The ultimate interpreter of all the scriptures. Later on in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says that in former times, through the prophets, they spoke to our fathers at many times and in many different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his, what? His son. These last days. It's all again, all the prophecies are about Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said that we are in the last days. We don't have to look for more last days. They've already started. And this period of the last days, if you're going to read the prophets, you're going to read the Psalms, you're going to read Moses, whatever it is, you read it with your Jesus glasses on. Because these last days I've spoken through him, and he is the heir of all things. Good news, the headline is that Jesus is the ultimate prophet and I don't have to go looking for more new prophecy and new prophets. Not long ago, just a few weeks ago, I was with Brother Masood at their church in Plano, and they were having a little bit of problems, one of the mission points with a lady who had decided that she was a prophet. I wanted to overrule some of the pastor's teaching because she had... A new word from God. And as they investigated a little bit and corrected her point of view, she mentioned that she was getting her prophecies. It was about Christmas time. 
And she was getting these prophecies and these words from God at night when she'd lay down and sleep under the Christmas tree. (laughs) I don't have to wait for anybody to give me a new prophecy. I don't have to buy a new book. The ultimate prophet has already come. His name is Jesus. That's headline number two. Headline number three is that Jesus is not only the ultimate prophet, final prophet, not only is he the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, he's also the fulfillment of all the Old Testament and New Testament religious rituals. Look at that last verse again, verse 8. John told him, I've baptized you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What was he referring to? He'd been in the wilderness, and when he came out of the wilderness and began to preach this message that the Christ was coming, the Messiah was really there. He's really on the way. They began to come to him and began confessing their sins and repenting, and he was baptizing them in the Jordan River. The significance of that is this, that in those days when somebody was a Gentile convert, a proselyte to Judaism, they go through a ritual washing. But John was preaching to them and telling them, you Jews, you leaders of the Jews, you better forget, don't worry about baptizing these Gentiles. You need to get baptized yourself. Signifying what? The washing away of your sins. What does baptism in our day and time, what does that signify? It is a ritual an ordinance of the church. But what does an ordinance do? An ordinance is a sign that points, an earthly sign, a physical sign, that points to an internal reality. John was saying it's good. If you want to get your sins washed away and you want to be clean and all those kind of things, we say today, it's good. You need to be baptized as you confess your sins before God. But the greater point is this, not to worry about the significance or the actual act so much as to focus on the internal reality that it signifies. What is the internal reality that it signifies? It says here being baptized in the Spirit. Baptism into Christ. You don't have to go to the book of Acts and look for some elaborate thing where you fall down and lose consciousness and babble like a chicken or something. That's not what it's talking about. That's not baptism in the Spirit. Baptism in the Spirit is being overwhelmed by Christ and His Spirit. Romans chapter 6 and also Galatians chapter 3 says that you and I, speaking that church in those days and also the believers today, that we have been baptized into Christ. What that means is, and it mentions, goes a little bit further, talks about being baptized unto his death, and simultaneously that signifies we're also united to him in his resurrection. We have been absorbed into the body of Christ. A spiritual baptism. That's signifying our union with Christ. That is an old, old theological term. Being united to Christ. 
in days gone by, we wouldn't, people in Baptist churches wouldn't talk so much about somebody getting saved or about getting baptized or getting joined in the church. They speak of closing with Christ, realizing that point of union with Christ. How are we united to Christ? The Bible tells us that there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But then there's the reciprocal indwelling. The Bible says that we are in Christ. But then it says that Christ is in us. And then it says that we and Christ are in God. In the Father's hand and no one can pluck us out of his hand. We have been united with the family of God. We've been taken in to God's family and Jesus is our eldest brother. We're united with Christ. An old statement says that union with, in union with Christ, believers have with Christ, this is a work of God's grace. Do you know how? Can you ever feature how, how in the world could I make myself by my own works, by my own efforts, by religious rituals? How in the world could I ever make myself part of Christ? I can't do it. People in the past realized that union with Christ is totally a work of God's unmerited favor and grace in our lives. Whereby we are spiritually and inseparably joined to Christ. It's a spiritual union. We can't explain it. It's a mystery of God. That we become one with Christ. It's inseparable. You didn't put yourself, I didn't put myself in the body of Christ. I didn't unite myself to him. I didn't place myself inside his being. I didn't place the Holy Spirit inside me. I didn't place all of us in God. And I certainly can't take us out. No one can pluck us out of God's hand when we are in union with Christ. And it signifies that union in two word pictures. It's that Christ is our head. And we're the body. Head rules and governs. And the members do what the head tells to do. I'm joined in Christ in serving him as the head of his church. Also speaks of him being union with Christ. We know that we have the metaphor of marriage, physical union in marriage. It cannot be separated. That's Christ's union with us when we are baptized into the Spirit of God, baptized unto his death, baptized into his resurrection, and we are forever permanently spiritually united to Christ. That is Good news. Three headlines of good news. When you're depressed with the economy, you're depressed with our politics, you're depressed with your own physical ailments. When you need good news, the good news is right there. Mark says these headlines of good news are just the beginning. See there in verse 1 again? The beginnings of the gospel. The good news was just about to start. In 1972, 
I've been out of high school a couple of years. The night of my future wife's high school closing events. I proposed to her that night. And the headline was, good news, she said yes. <laughs> Later on, a couple of years after that, she followed through on it and did marry me. Another headline was, good news. Four or five years after that, she came into the den one night and said, I'm going to have a baby. That's a headline. On 4th of July, 1976, my oldest daughter was born. Good news. Headline. 24 years later, she comes and says, Daddy, you're going to have a little grandson. More good news. But it all began, the beginning of the good news was way back there in 1972 when she said, I will marry you. Gospel of Mark, these first seven verses, it's just the beginning of the good news. Let's bow together for just a moment. There's some musicians come. We're going to sing in just a moment. Closing first and last verse of Four Thousand Tongues to Sing. Father, we wish sometimes we had a thousand tongues to sing about all the good news you've provided for us. New life in Christ, eternal home in heaven. Savior that walks with us day by day, that lives in our hearts, will never leave us or forsake us. It's good news. It's good news that prophecies are fulfilled in Christ. He's coming again. The Gospel of Mark is nothing but good news. Father, we thank you for it today. Pray that you'd give us a thousand voices to sing. You give us a thousand opportunities day by day to sing the glories of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.